103 of the Real Photo Show. My guest today is Matthew Abbott. Matthew is a documentary photographer based in Australia. He covers social and political issues around the world, but most recently, he has been working on projects that raise awareness about the indigenous people of Australia. He has been on assignment and has published his work with the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Guardian, and Der Spiegel, just to name a few. His series, Land Where the Crow Fly Backwards, explores the impact of global climate change and the decline of communities along the Murray-Darling Basin, uh, including the impact on the lives of the indigenous population. He was also the first place prize winner in the Rust Belt Biennial, which included getting a spot on the show. Uh, Although I think I would have gotten to Matthew eventually anyway, and also... Uh, you know, having gone to the show, I lined up a bunch of other guests to uh, be on the show down the road. So uh, look out for that. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, how Matthew got started, the state of uh, journalism in Australia, the idea of needing to reach a level of maturity in order to be a good documentary photographer, because it's not just about getting the photographs. It's also about being interested and being able to tell the story. And of course, we'll get to the politics here in the United States because the work Matthew did in the Rust Belt is work he'd like to continue, especially now that Donald Trump is a known quantity and not just this disruptor who would uh, drain the swamp and improve the lives of the people who voted for him. So let me just give another final thanks to Yoa Friedlander, Donna Sterling, and Nico J. Kalyanyotis for including me in the Rust Belt Biennial. Uh, as a supporter and as a prize. (laughs) So thanks again. The show was fantastic. The talk was great. And uh, I got to meet a lot of great artists. And just to give you a little insight into um, kind of all the different things I do and how sometimes they collide, I actually got the reception date wrong for the Rust Belt Biennial because I wrote it down very early and then the date changed also very early on, and I just never updated it on my calendar. I even promoted it with the correct date, but I'm so driven by my calendar as a way of remembering things, I went with the wrong date. So I I even booked a little hotel room so I could uh, stay overnight and not have to drive all the way back home, the couple hundred miles that it was. So I I drive out there, um, I find out the gallery's closed and I have the wrong date, uh, and then I have to figure out what to do. So I, I thought the gallery was going to open in the morning, and I was also wrong about that. So I stayed in my hotel. I went back in the morning. It wasn't open. I had to install a show at the JKC Gallery that day, that Saturday. So I drove from Wilkes-Barre to Trenton to install the show, and I was feeling very dumb and very defeated the whole way. Uh, and then after I installed the show, I decided I, I'm just not going to give up. And I drove back to Wilkes-Barre, attended the reception, which again was fantastic. Uh, and then I drove home to New Jersey and it was uh, like a 400 mile drive uh, the whole weekend, but it was all worth it. And let me just make one quick announcement. A friend of the show, former guest of the show and, and friend of mine, uh, Ryan Casey, co-curated a show called No Cure for Morning 
The show examines the relationship between art making and the experience of loss, and it has a lot of fantastic artists in the show. And there'll be a roundtable on November 7th from 2.30 to 3.30 at the Stockton University Art Gallery in Galloway, New Jersey. So if you can make that, please do. Uh, I'm going to be taking a bunch of students down there for the talk, so I'm really looking forward to that. So that's it for now. Thanks for listening, everyone. Enjoy the show, and we will talk soon. It's 9.30 in the morning um, on a Saturday. The weather's brilliant. It's just started to warm up over here, which is nice. And uh, we're kind of, yeah, getting closer to, you know, more sort of summery kind of weather. Yeah. Which we're, is always good. And we're on the other side, obviously. It's 7.30 on a Friday evening here, and it's starting to cool down. Yeah. <laughs> How, um, you, I mean, is the majority of your work in Australia? Yeah, definitely. So the work I'm doing at the moment is primarily based in Australia. So I've sort of tried to make that my sort of focus, I guess. You know, I, I should re I should rephrase that. You photograph everywhere. I mean, you photograph in a lot of different places, but is your job based in Australia uh, when you're working for clients? Yeah, so so I, I live in Sydney, um, so that's my base, you know, born and bred from here. I do travel a lot for work and, you know, I've worked in South Sudan, I've worked in Pakistan, I've you know, worked in a whole bunch of different countries, but, um, but definitely, you know, I would say that, like, my focus is on Australia and, and I and the, the majority of the work I do is is in Australia so that's sort of like my my main sort of focus as a, as a photographer yeah I and so also congratulations on the uh, first uh, place award at the um, uh, Rust Belt Biennial so uh, when did you uh, learn about that show so actually I had somebody on Instagram so sort of just tagged me in saying hey you know I've seen uh, some of your posts. Um, I, I posted only a few images from that series, you know, shortly after I, I, I took them in 2017. And uh, yeah, so I, I actually can't remember who this kind person was, but um, <laughs> I uh, I just sort of, you know, made a mental note to, to apply. And um, sure enough, when the, the deadline came around, I, I did. Yeah. When you were making those photographs, were you on assignment or was it personal work? It was personal work. Um, I had a reason to be in, in the U.S. already. I, I was invited by the New York Times to participate in the um, the yeah the New York Times portfolio re- review, which is a pretty big deal for you know people in Australia or, or elsewhere because it's a kind of a, it's an opportunity to kind of meet some of the best sort of editors um, in, in the game all at one time. Sure. Um, because it's you know it's very like sort of cost prohibitive flying from the other side of the world to come over and, you know, and to meet these people. So, yeah, that was a great opportunity. That and turns out to be a, a great time for me to sort of uh, uh, pick people to record, too. <laughs> right. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a real sort of, it's an it's a excellent initiative, for sure. Um, yes. And so, yeah, really, it's a great time to be in New York. And so that was my first time in New York and just, yeah, absolutely loved it. And yeah, I just thought, well, you know, I've got some time over here and I've, I've come all this way. I'd like to do a, a project. Uh, I'd love to shoot something. And I was, I mean, at that time, it was just after the election and people were, you know, talking about these sort of states that make up the Rust Belt and how important they were in the in, in the election, you know. Um, right. And, you know, there's a whole conversation about, you know, the sort of disenfranchised and frustrated voters and so, oh, yeah, I was sort of keen to sort of check that out. You know, I, I was, I've been looking at your work on your website, and I can see that uh, kind of a thread of 
photographing the disenfranchised, it it seems like you're uh, you were I don't maybe they weren't simultaneous, but you were also you also did a, a series called The Land Where the Crow Flies Backwards, and uh, that work actually yes, exactly. showed in Brooklyn and Red Hook. That's right. Well done. You did the research. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do a little how did, how did research. You hear about that? <laughs> <laughs> I dig around. <laughs> yeah. No, that was great. Great to get that work shown, and and that was um, that was really exciting as well because it was they ended up showing fiber-based prints, you know, and, and they were huge prints, you know. I think they were um, some of them were close or over a meter, meter large. So you know, it's only it's only sort of a small selection of prints, but um, I was able to you know be really really great show there. And actually, that was off the back of the New York Times of the portfolio review. I think um, one of the editors. Uh, from from Vogue Italia, she she sort of hooked me up with 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 Red Hook and things sort of went from there. So yeah, it's very important to be able to kind of get out of this small you know country here and <laughs> and meet people and you know, opportunities. Kind of one thing kind of leads to the next. Often it's it's kind of um it's, it's amazing like that. Absolutely, and it, that looks like it was uh, shot using four by five that project. Yeah, so so I shot actually some of it was eight ten. Wow. Um, oh, so some yeah, of these are so, contact prints that I see on your website. Uh, yeah, well, either contact prints or scans. Mm. Um, unfortunately, um, there's a selection of, of multiple. I've photographed some prints. I've photographed. Uh, I've scanned negatives. So there's a bit of a inconsistency there. Um, and had I had my time over again, I would have just done it all the one method. But you know, you know, these things sort of happen. But yeah, so it's a kind of, kind of combination of um, you know different ways. But I was. You know, at the time, experimenting in, into portraiture. Before this moment, I had been, you know, always mainly doing sort of reportage, you know, kind of images and, you know, working with sort of handheld cameras. And for me, uh, that project was like a way in and to really kind of get my head around, you know, what is good portraiture? How, how, do, how do I approach, you know, strangers and, and get images that, you know, are, you know that, that are from these sort of encounters that are somewhat meaningful and using a large format camera was incredibly helpful because it enabled me to, you know, work very slowly and people were more patient, you know, with a large camera. You know, it takes mm. a while to set up. And so during that time you're setting up, you're able to um, kind of connect with the people. Um, but, you, you know, you, these are strangers. You, you've only just met them. And I found uh, a couple of things. One thing is people became very relaxed. And so you're able to get a really sort of sort of poignant and strong Kind of expression and feeling from them as you take the photograph, uh, which is you know critical for portrait photography. And the other thing was, while I was setting up, I would often realize, you know, this this photograph sucks. This is, what, you know, this, this is a shit photo, you know. Um, <laughs> and but it gave me time to be thinking, hang on, like what what's around the next corner? Like what could I do to really push this portrait and to make it something powerful? And so you know, if you're holding a camera up on your face and, and you've got a short amount of time you're under a lot more pressure to make something happen quickly and you don't have that same kind of slow process to, to say, oh, you know, like what if we tried this or that? So, yeah, so that was really helpful, you know, starting out. And now I've got a bit more confidence and, and um, you know, I've been doing it for a long time. You know, I, I can work with uh, other cameras that are a bit faster because I've got, you know, that ability to say, hey, well, what about this or that? But definitely I missed that process for sure. It, yeah. it, it was a great, great way of working. Yeah, I think there is something uh, humanizing about watching you almost uh, struggle in a way to set up a, a big camera, right? 
you know, you're just a, you, you know, all of a sudden you're, just, you're a guy working right in front of them. And then you get to have a conversation while you're doing it. And, you know, your a bit of your personality gets to come out. And I think that's a very humanizing experience as opposed to just sort of um, very quickly working with a digital camera. You say, oh, can I take your picture? Okay, thanks. Okay. You know, uh, it's a much more engaging process. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it gives, it gives you time to learn about them. You know, you it gives you time for um, it's incredible the things that people say in, in that period of time. You know, they'll they'll say something prolific. You know, like, <laughs> and so you and you've got to be open to recording that information down, and and um, and that, that's invaluable for captions and and for context for the project, and you know all those things. So yeah, it, it, there's a lot of benefits to working in that way. It's um, it's uh, yeah, I, I would struggle to, to to do that kind of work with a digital camera. Right. Uh, you know, it, it would be it would be much more challenging for me. Yeah. So, so what were you using when you were photographing in the Rust Belt? Um, so the Rust Belt was a sort of compromise. Um, you know, we had a well, short amount of time <laughs> traveling. Yeah, exactly. Uh, large format gear is not the best for traveling around around the, the states. But so I was using a Mamiya. Um, uh, what do you call it? Mamiya Six. Mm-hmm. So the, the square format, Mamiya. A rangefinder, just, six, just six by six. Rangefinder, yeah. And just the one camera. Normally, if I do projects with a, you know, six, seven, I like to have two bodies because, you know, you might only have one shot of the roll of film and, you know, it's kind of awkward changing film in front of people. It's, it slows down the process and, I, or you, you can miss things. So I think, uh, I don't think there's anything more awkward than changing 120 film. <laughs> Where you're you're <laughs> licking the the label and you're putting in new film. I mean, it is the most awkward looking thing. Yes, it's super intense. <laughs> you're, that's a really good point. Um, and I t- yeah, totally missed shots. And but I was lucky because I had um, on this trip, my partner um, who's, who's a journalist. She uh, she was traveling with me, um, and so in fact, you know, I owe a lot to her for this project for, for multiple different reasons. You know, her patience was incredible, but. But she was just a great sort of conduit, I guess it's the right word, where you know she'd be there and we'd have these kind of very flowing conversations because, you know, if I'm changing my film and I'm focusing on something else, she was able to kind of pick up the conversation and, you know, obviously as a journalist, she's asking, you know, really good questions as well. And she's a writer? She's a writer, yeah. So, so, so yeah, it was a really... Um, I think it was like a. I don't think she'd do it again, <laughs> it a, but it was a, it was a great um it was a great time and 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 we worked re- really well together in that in that format. Is she doing something different now, or is she still in journalism? Yeah, so she's an editor. Uh, she works oh. for the Spiegel, uh, but she was on her sabbatical at the time. Oh, okay. So she was sort of it was a, sort of like a holiday um, sabbatical, and yeah, I mean, but she was very tough. Like, we we were in, in the Rust Belt for you know driving around the states for about five weeks and. You know, it wasn't all hard going, but we 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 had a car that we'd sleep in, you know, Walmart in, and you know, we'd brush our teeth at night time in the in the Walmart. <laughs> oh wow! So so yeah, it you know it wasn't the easiest of trips for sure, but it was a great experience. So is that? Do you consider that project uh, still ongoing? That Rust Belt work, or or is that done? <sighs> That's a really good point. Um, well, I was quite ups- well, quite disappointed um, that the work wasn't published very widely once I finished it. And I think there's a couple of different reasons for that. I mean, my main audience is, is, is like, you know, my main clients are, are, are in America. Um, mm-hmm. And so obviously, they're going to be a bit more critical at that kind of work. And and, um, and there's also a lot of people, you know, a lot of great photographers working in, in the States. And so, yeah, so, so for whatever reason, it didn't really get up very well in, in the States. Um, but yeah, it, it got to run it at, in Newsweek in, in Japan, which was great. So, so and, there's and a few a- others. 
There's a big, there's a, a full-fledged essay that goes with the work. You mean like a written essay? Right. Yeah, I think, um, so my partner Anna wrote that, but but I think for for the Newsweek, so for the, we, we published in the Spiegel as well, um, and that was a kind of, what's called like a visual story kind of format there, where they actually ask the photographer to sort of talk about the work as, as and the experiences of, of the trip and of, of making the work. So it's much more sort of personal. Whereas I think the Japanese Newsweek article was a combination of our reporting and and reporting by a Newsweek journalist. So it's oh. a kind of combination of the two, yeah. That's interesting. So the, it was never fully published published here in the States, but it was published... That's right. Oh, interesting. Did, um, yeah. What um, Did you notice a, a difference in the way the photos were written about from country to country? Um, well, <laughs> because it's in Japanese, it's quite a oh. hard language to translate. <laughs> right. So I, I don't, I don't know. You, um, have, you may have, even in a translation, you may have not, may not have seen yeah, the real sense of the story. Right. Exactly. The translation is kind of t- tricky. Um, it's better to go from German to English than mm. say Japanese to English. Um, that's a really good point. But I mean, going back to the original, you know, so disappointment about publishing the, in the U S I mean, this happens to me all the time in Australia. I very rarely get my my Australian work published by Australian media here. You know, um, I'm not going to speak for the US, but at least for here, especially when you're photographing, you know, disenfranchised people, you know, vulnerable people, things that are hard to to potentially look at, there's not a stomach for it here to to publish that work. You know, Australians don't want to see photographs of Aboriginal people, you know, here that are are suffering, um, that that are in, you know, that are living in poverty. It's not something that's very... um, easy to 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 sell and and uh, you know but you know if you if you're taking that same work to say japan or, or the us or you know germany people are much more sort of open to saying hey but you know what's it really like in australia this is you know and so that, that, that i've always seen my work in that way of you know being published elsewhere um, and having a sort of an, an international audience yeah i think i bet you it's not that different in all those countries something about mm-hmm. seeing it in your own backyard is uh, too depressing for you but see it's easier to uh, be critical of other cultures <laughs> and yeah. i think here in the states and of course everything's an overgeneralization but here in the states i find that we start to see that work when there's a crisis or a political angle to the story right mm. so all of a sudden people in the rust belt got really popular when donald trump was elected because they were seen as the reason right and uh, when uh, Flint, Michigan, uh, you know, when when all the water was poisonous, suddenly you heard about the lives of people in Flint, Michigan. You typically don't hear about the lives of of, of the disenfranchised until there's a big crisis moment. Yeah, ab- absolutely, and 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 until the so the narrative has been set around how to talk about these things, and yeah, I couldn't agree more. So um, the the getting back to the land where the crow flies backwards. That's an interesting series. Uh, you're following a river basin and photographing both landscape and people along the way. And that's a personal project, right? Yes, exactly. So that's been sort of over a period of, of years now. I, I've been working on this. I've actually got a bag of film here next to me now <laughs> that I, I shot early on. Um, Still large format? Just, like, toned it down a bit because yeah, some it's 4.5 it's um, mm-hmm. and a lot of 6.7 now as well. It's just, you know, I'm finding the grind of daily life. Mm-hmm. Um I've got less and less time to 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 work in these larger formats that, that take time and very costly, especially if you're sort of outsourcing the, the processing to other people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm ticking away at that. But I'm you know I'm actually kind of still 
I'm, but I am still sort of, I'm struggling to connect back in the work because it was a really kind of, it was a moment in my life when I shot that, that I was, you know, I, I was single. I was like, <laughs> you know, I was a lonely guy out there for like weeks and months at a time. And I'm just in a very different place now. So it's kind of hard to connect back to that work. Yeah. 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 That, that means something because everything you are at the time has, has a lot to do with the way the photographs look because of the way you interact with people the kind of energy you have, the kind of time you have, it, it, it completely shows up in the work. I've had very similar experiences, you know, trying to go back to something. It, it doesn't all, it doesn't feel the same or I don't have the time mm. or some, you know, I, I think about things I've, I've done when I was younger that were stupid, but I got, but I got the work done because I was dumb yeah, <laughs> in some yeah, ways. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think more in your case, maybe than mine, but no, and I'm not that you did anything dumb, but um, I mean, I see, you know, you went, I see your work going back to 2008 in Istanbul and the Rohingya refugees. And, you know, you're probably, you know, being single and all more willing and able to, to travel to more places where there might have been some danger, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I was actually having this conversation the other day uh, with somebody, but I think it's actually safer doing these things when you're, you know, taking these kind of risks when, when you're younger, mm-hmm. because you, you know, there's a sense of a sort of naivety to how you approach things, and absolutely, and you, you know, you're not working for a big company; you're just out there, you know, kind of cruising around on your own bat and. I definitely, you know, I, I'm still doing work that's, you know, still somewhat dangerous, you know, for my photojournalism uh, side of my, of my of my kind of working. And but now, you absolutely, you think twice about about taking, you know, risks, and you're much more sort of careful about things because I definitely <laughs> feel a much more much more sense of sort of mortality, at, at, yes. you know, um, <laughs> or, or or what's involved for sure. Um, yeah, and I, and it's actually even uh, you know these assignments are often very physically demanding. You know, I often get sick now. You know, I, I got uh, dengue fever on my last project in East Timor. What and, is what is dengue uh, fever? Uh, dengue fever is, uh, it, I mean, it's not malaria. It's very different, oh. but it's it's a it's a mosquito virus that yeah can really sort of knock you around mm. uh, quite badly and gives you a weird rash and um, makes you feel very tired. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like our Lyme disease. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I know about Lyme disease. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you just kind of like you got to look after yourself, you know. You got to, you know, as you get older, you got to look, you know, you got to be a bit more sort of um, careful with how you approach things, I guess. Sure. So, you know, looking at your site, you have a quite a list of achievements, and people can can look at your awards and shows and things like that. Uh, where did you get your start? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I started photography from a very young age, you know, during high school, and then. Yearbook photographer. <laughs> Uh, no, we don't do yearbooks. Oh, actually. okay. Um, it's very it's, yeah. We we hear about those in American movies, but um, no, I I yeah, I took some photos photos you know at school and art class, and I was always you know involved, interested in arts. And actually, my I guess my first proper you know well not really break, but my first sort of journey into professional photography was my dad knew a knew a photographer who took me on as a you know unpaid bag carrying assistant. You know back back in the day. You know, this is a time when, you know, photographers would shoot like slide film, you know, editorial work all on all on the Hasselblad. And um, it's incredible. You know, I, was, I used to be the guy doing the Polaroids oh, and yeah. taking light The test, you know, light the Polaroid readings. tests, yes. Yeah. And do you, do you remember clip tests? I don't of know if course. You those. Of course. Clip <laughs> tests. You get the first uh, like foot of film process, the first few frames, and then you tell, you can determine whether or not to push or pull the film. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You're kind of like wasting frames, but... <laughs> 
it doesn't matter because it's, it's all the same picture, you know. Right. And yeah. So that was great. And, and, and for me, that was the first like, you know, I didn't like school, you know. And so for me, that was like, oh, wow, I could see myself enjoying this. This is something, something I enjoy and, and um, passionate about. And so from there, I sort of just, you know, went on and still very much interested in visual arts. But my journey to photojournalism, it took a while, you know, it sort of, I had to sort of mature into a place where I was interested in those stories. You know, it, it's about, it, it's not just about taking pictures, um, you know, photographs or, you know, pretty photographs. It's about, I think you need to come to a point where, yeah, you, you, you have a genuine interest in what you're photographing and, and the stories you're trying to tell. And, and, and that takes time for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, you went to the Danish school of journalism. So here's a dumb question. Was the campus in Denmark or was it a local yes. campus? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So that was a bit of a bit of a punt, really. It's a bit of a sort of gamble. Uh, but I'd heard great things about this one school, and it, it, it's a, it's an amazing school. It's it's, um, it's still going, and it, and it's got to be one of the best I think out there. And they just had a very um, at the time they had a very sort of kind of conceptual and, and modern outlook on what photojournalism is. It, it, they seem to be ahead of the bell curve. So in those times, they were very much about long-form documentary storytelling and that was at a time when people you know were putting down the digital you know putting down their film cameras and, and they were sort of going the opposite direction but yeah no, that, that was a great experience working over there and i think the europeans they, they just bring a real depth to knowledge about these things they've been doing you know documentary photography or in one form or another for a very long time mm. and before that they were the, you know the, the masters of painting and so that's sort of in their blood and dna to um to be sort of storytelling in this way. So, right, right, right. History yeah. painting, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then you, you did a Master of Studio Arts at, at Sydney. Is that when the it kind of all came together, the idea of photojournalism? No, actually, that was sort of, that was a me sort of getting away from photojournalism in a way. Oh, wow. I, I, for many years, I didn't have the networks to start working for any newspapers. So I wasn't actually working for newspapers at all until very recently. And so I was making these like you know personal projects that they, you know wasn't really you know, getting them published or I wasn't selling them very very well. So I was very sort of frustrated with that process. And I thought, well, hang on, you know, there's a there's an art market here that you know there's a there's a you know there's a whole other world that which is the art world where I can you know I can still work in it and make the work I want to make. And and so so that was that was the reason for doing the um, the Masters of Visual Arts. But I, I definitely, you know, and that had been off the back of working on one project. I spent nearly the um, best part of four and a half years w living and working in a very remote part of Australia called Arnhem Land, hmm. um, living in Aboriginal communities there. And, you know, that project I spent four and a half years working on and it's never been published. Oh, wow. So for multiple different reasons, you know, once you become so attached to something, you, you care about where it's seen and you care about the, the output. But... You know, at that time, it, 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 you know, this is before, I mean, Facebook existed, but, you know, it, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. I wasn't posting an image every day or once a week. You know, I was off the grid, you know, completely. There was not even a television or hmm. really internet there. And anyway, I'm kind of backtracking a little bit, but I mean, that was a great way to learn because I had, you know, it was just in, in my own space, no pressures of, of anybody else saying, hey, this is how you should photograph. Right, and and I didn't feel like I had an audience, you know, looking at my images, criticize, you know, I mean, not that Instagram is at all critical ever. Um, <laughs> it's quite the opposite, but it, it it didn't feel like I had to. It's not Twitter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
but yeah, I think there's a is a is a is a pressure on up and coming photographers now to to be on Insta and to be posting and and to be you know and there's all these other factors that come into it. Whereas I could just really concentrate on the, on the photography, you know, mm-hmm. during that time. But going back to the art course, you know, the masters, it, it it helped sharpen my sort of you know ability to talk about why I was doing things and and sort of more of the conceptual side of, of the work. And that's definitely been a benefit for you know for yeah. my work. And forgive me if I missed it, if you touched upon this, but how did you end up spending so much time in the Sudan? So that was another sort of time where I, I thought, well, hang on, like I've, I, I've never worked for any newspapers. And I sort of went, I, I, it's like a pendulum swing. So I went one side, which is to the art world side. Right. And I got sick of that. So I wanted to come <laughs> back to the, um, to the, you know, to photojournalism. And what's more, you know, basically the most extreme version of that was to head off to the South Sudan Worked for Associated Press um, as, as, as a sort of wire photographer there, as a freelancer. Um, wow. And so that was a real sort of baptism, baptism by fire. And I ended up spending about nine months working there um, for, for AP. And, you know, it was, it was a great experience, but, you know, I made some good work. But I still, you know, I still hadn't matured as a storyteller by that point. I still was chasing pictures, but not chasing, not working on specific stories. So... I guess it's actually pretty. It's pretty much only since I've been only the last sort of five years that I feel like I've really been, you know, being able to follow these kind of stories in, in a very sort of um, yeah, in, in a more of a con- kind of com- complete holistic kind of way. Do you, do you can just consider yourself primarily documentary now? Yeah, you definitely. Um, I think I'm a documentary ph- photographer. Um, I mean, a photojournalist still works in stories, but I'm mm-hmm. I'm definitely not a a. Um, you know, I wasn't built to, to shoot like to be like a snapper, to be to be photographing, you know, pictures here and there, and moving mm. on to the next story, and the next story. Right. I, I like to work. I would like to work on, like, on longer, longer stories if possible. Yeah. Yeah. That are a bit more nuanced. Yeah. How how is the newspaper industry in Australia? You have the the Sydney Morning Herald, right? Is that the that's the big one? Yeah. So the Sydney Morning Herald is one one of the big ones. We have um, Rupert Murdoch. Uh, he's a, he's one of our famous exports, which that's right. I'm sure, you, I'm sure you're aware of. <laughs> he owns a lot of papers here as well, but they're sort of more the tabloids. Mm-hmm. And but he does own one sort of uh, big newspaper. That paper is called the Australian, and that's that's one one of the large papers. But you know, I don't really do much work at all for, for Australian media. I I can sort of count on one hand the, the amount of times I've, I've been published. Um, wow. In, in local local media, yeah. Hmm. Uh, it's just um, they're not willing to invest in in long form mm-hmm. photojournalism. You know, there's not there's not the budgets for it here. I mean, one of the reasons why I love working for the Times is they have a, a you know a massive readership. You know, I think there's something like 20 million subscribers, and you know if that many eyeballs are looking at one story, of course they can afford to spend money in, in you know and, and invest in really quality photojournalism. So. For me, that's yeah. It's just it's a, it's a, it's a win-win. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people are seeing your work, and there's the budget to pay you properly to, to go out there and, and, and spend you know often several days shooting the work. Yeah, absolutely. It looks like the um, the most recent work would be the the Gillaroos. Yeah. So I did a, I did a very uh, small stint at the ABC, which is our sort of national broadcaster, mm-hmm. and they have an online section. So I, I worked for them. For a six-month period last year, uh, and so yeah, so that work is, is from um, was a story that I pitched and, and and sort of worked on with them. Yeah, 
But I've got um, my probably my latest body of work was a story in East Timor. That, that's when I got the dengue oh. fever. Oh, um, right. That was, okay. That was for the New York Times about uh, crocodile attacks there. So that's oh, wow. that, was a, that was a fun story. Yeah. And I, I have two others coming out very shortly. Um, and one I'm, I'm very excited about is, is about I, I spent the last so I just got back to Sydney you know, a few weeks ago, but I, I spent about five weeks in central Australia photographing inside these Aboriginal communities that are playing what's called, you know, Australian rules. It's a, it's a mm. kind of football. Sure. Um, it's kind you know, of rugby. Yeah, similar to NFL. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a, a cross between rugby union and, you know, soccer where they throw the ball in the air a lot. You right. Know, it's, yeah, it's kind of unique to Australia. But anyway, but that, that uh, it was a really great visual assignment and um, so I'm quite excited about that. Oh, that's but, great. You know, for your listeners, it'll be very different than the uh, style that I, I worked on yeah. for the um, for the Rust Belt work. Yeah. Real more kind of sports work or is it portrait work? Neither. I mean, mm. it's, I mean, it's a sports story, but it's it's um, you know, obviously it's 35 mil. It's color. It's uh, it's dynamic. It's you know, mm. it's um, but I, I'm not a sports photographer, and I've, I've actually got no interest in sport really at all. Uh-huh. But it was a it was a way to sort of you know these communities are very isolated, very remote. So I. I guess I used the game as a way to tell a larger story about these communities. And by being there, by being there for so long, I was able to sort of, you know, I'm always interested in photographing the edges of things. Like there's, if it's one big event, the the pictures are always on the edge. You know, the the person's getting ready for a, to go to a rally or the, you know, onlookers, so, yeah, crowds, right? The onlookers and the crowds, and exactly. So that that were things that I was sort of interested in, in photographing and. We're a massive country, and a lot of these kind of events just don't get covered at all. It's very, it's a, very rare. So mm. it was a great opportunity to, to really to, to nail that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before I, I forget, I I um I mentioned Jillaroos, but they're ranchers. Jillaroos. How does that translate? Yeah. So <laughs> so a Jillaroo is a female jackaroo, <gasps> and a jackaroo. Have you heard of a jackaroo before? No. Probably not. <laughs> I thought you were going to say think... something else. <laughs> so a Jillaroo <laughs> is a, a female jackaroo, and a jackaroo yes. is. So a jackaroo is essentially an Australian cowboy. Oh, um, we don't we don't call them cowboys here. It, it, you know, there's a lot of things that we we have, we have our own words for, for diff- different things. But and so if you call someone a cowboy, they'll, they'll get a, they'll get pissed off at you. They'll, they'll be like, oh, you're like, mate, this is America. Go back to Hollywood type thing. <laughs> um, so there's you know lots of tradition out there. So you know we have you know. Yeah, there's always some kind of words and the various colloquial words that, that are uniquely Australian. And you use Jack and Jill, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Good point, actually. That's a really good point. Um, but yeah, but I mean, traditionally they're actually called ringers, and that's the kind of a, a word for somebody who who works with cattle. And obviously, a big tradition out there um, for that kind of work. And mm-hmm. is a we have a lot of cattle cattle country for sure. Do you are you still doing a work that you consider personal? That's that hasn't been commissioned. That the the like the um, the Australian rules. You're you're doing that for a piece, right? Yeah, actually, you know what? I um, I pitched that to my regular editor, and because I don't shoot sport, and because my regular editor doesn't really do sport stories, mm-hmm. he, he was he uh, this is at the times he, he, you know, he wasn't really that interested. But so I ended up actually going out there um, by myself to shoot it as as a personal story, and then. Once I sh- uh, started shooting there, I was, at, I, was, I was out there for about a week or so. I kind of, you know, I basically sent a few images over to him saying, hey, you know, 
just in case you're interested, um, this is how it's actually looking at here. And I think once he saw, you know, just how unique this place was and how, you know, this really wasn't a sports story. It was just so much more than that. Mm. Um, that then eventually, yeah, it, it was commissioned, which, which is fantastic. Oh, that's because, great. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's a kind of like a, a win-win, you know, I was still able to shoot it in the style that I wanted to, but... But it, but it ended up, it's, you know, it, it, it's you know, it's being funded and it's being published. So oh, that, um, that's amazing. And of course, best of both worlds, right? Win win. You you got to start it the way you wanted to start it, and then someone picked it up. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's really good. So sometimes you just got to kind of back yourself, you know. And um, if you feel like, it, but you've you've also got to know what people. It takes a while to learn this, but eventually you get an idea of like what what do these editors want? Like what's something that's going to really excite them? And it it it, it all comes down to the story mm-hmm. so much, you know. It, you can have some of the best pictures, but unless you, you're really, unless it's, it's newsworthy or it's got some kind of hook or it's got some kind of, some sort of something, another element to make it kind of a, a, a worthy read, it's going to be a very hard sell. Sure. So I've definitely learned that the hard way of the years, but <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, I got there. Yeah. Uh, any big um, travel plans coming up? Well, yeah, so looping back to, um, I never really answered your question about the um, the Rust Belt work, but oh, right. um, whether I would actually, whether it is finished. And, you know, because I was disappointed that it didn't get the run, I, you know, I didn't do much with it. And in fact, I hadn't even, you know, put it on my Instagram. It's, it's all, you know, I hadn't published it in, in really publicly. And, and so it was a real surprise to people when it did win. <laughs> and, 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 you know, like, you know, colleagues of mine. Right. Big, because they were like, what are, you, what are you doing? This is great, you know, and like... You're <laughs> where just, is this you're work, like, Ben? <laughs> yeah, like, where, you're just sitting on this work, you know, and and so then I, like, you know, put it on my Instagram and, and I got some great feedback and, and it's kind of given me, like, a um, uh, a bit of a kick, you know, to 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 maybe even go back and pursue that work, you know, like, uh, and I mean, now, you know, coming into the next election, it'd be actually a great time to kind of go before the election. Absolutely. And, and to sort of look to see whether... Um, you know, to see, yeah, to ask, ask the questions, you know, is it well, how people, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if you know what's going on right now, but, uh, but people are being, uh, you know, Trump supporters are being asked all the time. Are you still with them? Are you now? Are you still with them? Wait, are you still with them? You know, because it's, it's been one big story after another, uh, here. Um, and you know, the impeachment inquiry has begun, uh, so it would be a great time to speak to people and see, you know, what they think about all this and uh, get a different perspective on things. That's that's not sort of a mainstream narrative. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I think, I mean, this is just, this is, I mean, I'm not there at the moment. I'm not talking to people, but I would assume that not much would have really changed. I think people in the region I was, I was speaking with were focused on, on their, their jobs and, and their futures, you know, and were, you know, they, they were upset with the status quo and, and, they, and they felt like they wanted to change. And whatever that change was, I don't think the majority of people really care about this or the details of, of what Trump gets up to, you know, whether he eats a lot of, you know, McDonald's and drinks Diet Cokes and whether, he, or, you know, or whether he's corrupt with, um, you, you know, the Ukrainian prime minister, Ukraine. right? yeah, prime minister. No, I think you're I mean, right. For them it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it just doesn't really. It, I mean, nothing seems to cut through, right? He's still, he's still there, and yeah. Personally, I think this this won't really make much of an impact. It's but. It's, it's not going to move the whatever thirty seven percent that still don't want to go back to a status quo. Yes. Right. Yes, I think they're still 
looking for something that will really shake things up and yeah and it might be someone else next time around but they still don't want they don't want to return they're not looking for a a clinton bush dynasty anymore they don't want uh that's right yeah Yeah. they don't even want a a a centrist you know democrat or even a centrist republican for that matter they are looking for something more on the fringes yeah absolutely and it'll be interesting to see yeah who ends up taking you know, charge of the Democrats and whether, you know, I mean, it's funny. I know more about American politics than I do about Australian politics. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got, can, don't you go through prime ministers like tissue paper? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we had a, we had a really bad run. Uh, yes. <laughs> it, was, it was embarrassing actually. Um, but it's just, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, American politics is, so, is, is really important for us. It's something that we follow closely. It's a hell of a spectacle, yes. you know, to watch. And I think because we're not, you know, there's not as much at stake as you guys have. We're able to follow it with a little bit more sort of, you know, viewing. It's like watching a wildfire burn. You know, <laughs> like we're, we're able to to appreciate it from a distance, and it's uh, it's okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Plus, you have a um, a parliamentary system, right? That uh, parliamentary representation system. What is that? How you refer to your system? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's it's a little more. Parliamentary systems tend not to have such centralized power. Yes. Yes, so yeah. we're more based on the UK model, um, mm-hmm. and we we don't have as much centralised power. But the problem which we've been having for many years is that the uh, the parties who elect the leader. So uh, I think in the, in the states you guys elect the leader, whereas the parties elect the leader here. Yes, yes. And they, you know, in in a modern world with like social media and constant um, polls, you know, that are coming in, that it can be very negative towards, you know. You know, and as we know, polls can't be trusted anyway. Like no. they totally missed the, the last election, you know, in the US, and totally and blew so, it. Yeah, yeah. And so what's happened? What's happening here is that, you know, a, a prime minister will get, you know, maybe six months of, of really bad polls, and and they'll be cut, you know, by their own party, um, and that's perfectly um, legal and and possible here. So it's been a very tumultuous time, uh, hmm. but. Sometimes we look at your method of, you know, electing one person and having them stay regardless for four years as a, as a more of a stable option. But right. of course, if if it's someone like you just dis- you disagree with, it, then then you're stuck with them. You know. Yes. And, um, and that's where you go, I guess, you know, where you guys are right now. Um, exactly. Some 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 of you are, and some of <laughs> yes. you are probably happy. But that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, definitely let me know if you uh, if you come back. We can have yeah, you definitely. on uh, in a room for reals. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great, Michael. And and um, you know, I, I think just one thing we'll touch on. I think it's interesting is that you know a lot of people were you know commented on on the work and they were they were seeing this work you know y- a couple of years after it was it was made, right? Mm-hmm. And so and it and the context has changed a lot since then and how that work's been viewed. Right. Uh, but I'd love the opportunity, yeah, to, to come back and, and to keep working on an assignment and to sort of be able to somehow maybe make more of an effort to kind of contextualize it with, with the, the now and what's and where that kind of history is at the moment. Yeah. So, I mean, if you come back and and talk and talk to people now, you'll get a, a new context or a new idea of where people are. And it'll be interesting to see if they're exactly where they were before. Um, if they are kind of sick of the the show, uh, right, or uh, they're ready to try something different, so that it'll be interesting to see and you know the, um, have their lives change. You can you can find out all those things. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think you know when I was there, it, Trump had just been elected, and 
there was, um, you know, as we touched on before, there's a lot of hope in change and it didn't, didn't matter how that change came in, but as long as it was happening, you know, as long as it wasn't the status quo and, you know, now it's been, you know, it was been three or four years, you know, I think it's, to be honest, it's probably a better time to do something like this because, you know, you can actually kind of get some feedback and get some kind of an idea of how, you know, people, you know, how, how he's actually, how he is actually regarded. It's not just a, maybe this he'll be better it's a well this is what time now so what yeah this is what he is um and i'm I'm actually sort of much more interested in that to be honest and and i think that would be a great thing to um to really sort of contextualize the project and and make it sort of you know yeah and and make it sort of a bit more sort of a a, a testament to that to that period and and of time yeah yeah absolutely well thanks this has been great and uh congratulations Mm -hmm. again thanks michael been pleasure chatting with you today yes you too all right bye everyone Mm -hmm.